You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best scholarship and apologetics, and today is no exception. We are talking about marriage, again. This was a show I wanted to have back in February, but my guest was sick back then, so had to reschedule. But today, I'm thrilled to have her on. A few years ago, my wife sent me this article from a blog with a question. If I divorce my husband, will I lose my salvation? And I loved the response entirely. You jumped in the comments section. The blog is To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. The writer is Sheila Ray Gregoire. And I'm here to, I've got her here today to talk about marriage and everything connected with it. She's a popular blogger and speaker and award winner author. She loves encouraging women to grow in their relationships, both with God and their husbands, kids, and friends. She's the author of eight books, including Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. She mixes humor and real-life stories to help women deal with the messy problems, many of them. She's a 2012 winner of a top literary prize for Canadian Christian books for The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And her blog, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, is one of the top 25 mom blogs on the web. <laughs> the only child of a single mother, learn two things quickly. God's close to rose or lonely, and marriage is a sacred thing. The void she found in her early life has been transformed to a passion to help women find their worth in, first in Christ and then to make their relationships mirror his. With her trademark humor and light touch, Sheila is able to drive home scriptural truths in an inviting way. Shortly after moving to Belleville, Ontario, when her girls were young, she began writing for magazines. In 2003, her first book, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, was published, followed rapidly by several more. She began to speak all over North America, keynoting at national denominational events such as the Coffee Break Conference and the Baptist Women's Convention, and leading workshops at large conferences like the Mops Convention and at Breakforth. She also speaks at women's outreaches and retreats, sharing her story of finding God even in the dark times. These don't just include rejection as a child, but also welcome the horrible value of losing her son Christopher. Through it all, she learned that God is enough, a message she desperately wants other women to cling to and understand. Her background includes master's degrees from Queen's University with one in sociology and the other in public administration. Her real education bow has come as she learned to be a wife to Keith, a, bi- a busy pediatrician and mother to Rebecca and Katie. She and Keith homeschooled their two daughters and who are now university students in Ottawa, and she is getting used to being a mother of her new son. She's one of the few people in her immediate family who is not actually a physician, so she spends her life in doctor circles, on medical mission trips, and medical conferences. But she still faints at the sight of blood. And she knits, even in line at the grocery store. <laughs> Sheila, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. 
Well, I started blogging in 2008 because somebody told me that I, I wanted to get more books published and I didn't have any clue what I was doing. And so I kind of wrote about everything and anything mm. that crossed my mind. And then mm. I realized around 2010, 2011, that the more I wrote about sex, the more trapped. So I've kind of become the Christian sex person. And I've written a whole bunch of, of sex books now. And I'm just trying to change the conversation about sex because I think the church has largely gotten it wrong. So I'm in the middle of, of my next one, The Great Sex Rescue. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's sort of a funny job that I've worked myself to. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that people would be searching for sex on the internet? <laughs> and you know, I mean, I'm glad that when people have problems that they end up with me and that was something weird. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you know, let, let's talk about it a little bit because usually in many cases, this is seen as a man's world because, you know, the man is supposed to be one who's interested in sex and the woman just, you know, goes along with it for the man's sake, you know? I mean, I think my mother said, said uh, that her mother once told her, you know, well, just act like you like it and things of that sort. Right. I mean, how, mm -hmm. it, it, is that usually the way it is, seem like this is the man's world and... Why is that wrong? Well, you know, it, it is. And um, in, in our newest book, we actually surveyed, uh, we took a survey of 22,000 um, Christian women, and we reviewed all of the best-selling Christian, um, specifically the best-selling Christian sex books, but also the 10 best-selling Christian books. And mm -hmm. what we, we looked at them on 12 different marks of healthy female sexuality, because we were looking mm -hmm. at it specifically from a woman's point of view. And it was really amazing how low most of the books scored and, and just how much they perpetuated the idea that sex was something men wanted, but women didn't, which is mm -hmm. not the way it's portrayed in the Bible at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's something that we've put on it, but it's not in the Bible. And so I would like us to get back to a biblical view of sex. How do you think we got to this place? Um, oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I think that, Men, first of all, do have, in general, like mm. the, like more men have higher libidos than women have higher libidos. So that does not mean mm. that every man wants sex more than every woman does, which maybe we can get yeah. into in a little bit because there's some interesting yeah. science there. Um, yeah. But you know, it certainly it, it it certainly is that that's the very slight majority that men have sex drive, and I think that. Um, because women's voices have largely not been heard in the Christian mm. church, that that per, that um, mm. that's the way that it's been portrayed, you know. Um, and, mm. and so we haven't talked enough about what libido looks like for women because it doesn't always look the same, but it doesn't mean that we don't have it. Mm. Um, and you know, I did I did an interesting poll on both Twitter and Facebook last year. Which message have you heard more in the church? You know, do not deprive your husband or women's sexual pleasure matters. And on both platforms, it was 95% to 5%. Don't deprive mm -hmm. your husband. You know, the idea that women's yes. sexual pleasure matters just isn't isn't talked about. Yeah. I, I remember my wife and I once listening to Mark Gunger's talk, Left Your Way to a Better Marriage. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now he says, you know, some of you guys out there, you're married to women who love sex. They just can't get enough of it. And I think I speak on behalf of all men when I say, we hate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the perception is that it really isn't very many, but it's actually more than we would think where the woman has the higher sex drive. Yeah. You know, I, I actually find it amazing that apparently men aren't concerned 
about their wife's pleasure occurs to me. That doesn't make sense. My greatest joy for me of intimacy is knowing I'm leaving my wife a happy woman. I, yeah, I and understand. it should be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think when when the message that we get is that women don't need sex, like Emerson Eggers in Love and Respect specifically said that men have a need for physical release and women don't. We only need mm-hmm. emotional release. Um, and he he did not mention women's pleasure at all in his book, like not even mm-hmm. once. All he said Mm -hmm. was that you need to have sex for your husband or else he's going to. Um, And so, you know, when women grow up hearing that over and over and over again, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like Mm -hmm. if you're if you're constantly told women don't want sex and if you combine that with the message that all men lust and no matter what you do, he is going to lust after you. And this starts when women are very young. You know, watch yeah. what you wear or he's going to lust. Then we grow up feeling like our big sources of shame. So we're told we don't like sex and we're told, you know, your body causes other people to sin. And then it's for a lot of women, that becomes this big self-fulfilling prophecy where sex is just something really distasteful. So you never think about women's pleasure. You don't even yeah. think that it's good. On the opposite end, men, meanwhile, are treated like we're just great big walking hormones, yeah. and that's all we do. I mean, you turn on most any sitcom today, and usually every single father in a sitcom today is depicted as this idiot who mm-hmm. needs his wife there to make sure nothing goes entirely wrong in the household, and all he thinks about is just sex and sports, yep. and that's it. Yep. And I, I think that is that I don't know why more men don't don't say not right. Like, you know, in the, in the church, especially the whole idea of every man's battle where every man will lust and he can't, you know, defeat it. And he um, women are dangerous and they have to learn to bounce their eyes and not women and which treats women with such tremendous disrespect, I think. But, you know, I expect more of men than that. And my yeah. husband's great. My sons in law are wonderful. Um that's just not a factor. And yet everybody has a very high sex drive. It's not like they don't have a high sex drive, but they know how to protect women. And, and we treat it in the church like men are incapable. And I think a lot of that is because we've, we think noticing a woman is beautiful is the same as lusting after her. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Yeah. But you guys, if you even notice her, you're lusting. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> If that's the case, I lust every single time I see a woman. Yeah, and it's not, you know, and and I, but I think that's what we're telling our teenage boys, which mm-hmm. is creating all kinds of problems for boys and for men that shouldn't yeah. be there. There's all kinds of shame that shouldn't be there. My wife is interested in joining the Orthodox Church. I remember being a Bible study once, and a priest talked about being at this camp for all these teenagers, and boys come up and say, what with lust? He's like, Oh, so that, you think this is something unusual or something of that sort. But on the other hand, unfortunately, this problem has been compounded, I think, a lot for men. Not saying women don't get affected by this. Sadly, my own wife did. But internet pornography mm-hmm. has made it far worse. And if men have a desire for lust, porn has made it worse. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's another um, thing that has really wrecked marriages. I think probably not the questions that I get on my blog are about porn. And right now on, on my blog, I'm, I'm involved in uh, mm-hmm. a big series on the month of April in, in how to handle porn in marriage. But I think what you mm-hmm. said, too, about women is that is so true as well. We think that porn is only a man's issue mm-hmm. when, you know, between 25 and 30 percent of, of porn users are female.
female. And, you know, this is a huge issue for both. And what it does is it changes the way we see sex. You know, because God meant sex to be this mutual, intimate knowing of one another, which is pleasurable and intimate all at the same time, and yet we've taken it and we've reduced it to something which is only physical, and it's just about getting my needs met and taking. Mm. It's not a giving, it's a taking. Um, and when we pair that idea with our, with sexual response, we really train our brain to not think of intimacy as arousing, which is a big problem that a lot of people are having. If anyone's interested, my wife did speak of us on the Naked Gospel podcast, poured out by Proven Men, recently her testimony on how God her from pornography. So I encourage everyone to go and mm-hmm. listen to it. And me and Ashley, I'm one of those rare guys who actually never struggled with watching porn. We, we're out there. Yeah. We exist. But I'm one of those rare guys who just never did. Yeah. And you know what I think we need to talk about is that that is nor- like that should be our normal and that should be mm. our expectation. Instead, um, like I know a guy very close to me who he never struggled with porn either. He, he was mm. a teenager. He um, he really respected girls. He had he was very popular. He had great relationships with both teenage boys and teenage girls. But he kept going to youth group where they were talking about how all guys struggle with this. And this is something you're going to struggle with. And this is something you're going to want to watch. And you need to fight against it. And he was feeling like he was a freak because he wasn't struggling with it. And so he started watching it because he felt like I'm not a real man. Because in youth group, they had portrayed, if you are a man, you're going to struggle with this. And we need to stop that because God is bigger than pornography. And I don't, and we need to start expecting that people will act as if they have the Holy Spirit in them. (laughs) When when it comes to the idea that women are supposed to have pleasure in sex, my point I always make is the exact same argument every time. God gave women a clitoris. Mm-hmm. Argument done. The mm-hmm. only purpose for that body part is so they can have that. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And he put it outside of the vagina, which means mm. that it doesn't tend to get a lot of stimulation the typical way, like through intercourse. Mm. I think that yeah. what the what, what it tells us is that you know God kind of intended men to have to spend some time pleasuring their wives and not just make it about intercourse. So it's kind of interesting that God wanted men to learn how to serve as well, I think. (laughs) And once again, I am thoroughly confused by men who think that way. I think if you think this act is just so awesome and incredible, which it is, wouldn't you want to make it last longer as Mm -hmm. long as you could? I Mm -hmm. mean, that, that that just seems to make perfect sense to me. Mm, absolutely. And um, and I think that what, the, what, what we need to address, too, and confront is, is what I call the orgasm gap. Yeah. Because, you know, close to 95% of men orgasm during every se- sexual encounter. And the ones who don't, were you talking about erectile dysfunction issues or something? Yeah. Um, whereas the percentage for women is about 48%. Mm-hmm. And that's among Christian women. That's in our study, our survey of 22,000 women. When you do mm-hmm. surveys of the population as a whole, it's actually lower. It's closer to 39%. Um, but that 39% is um, includes people that aren't married. And we know that married people and Christian people actually have better sex, which is good. But we still have mm-hmm. this orgasm gap of almost 50 points. Yeah. And, you know, what? <laughs> like I, I want to say to guys, like, how would you feel if – you know, going into sex, there's only a 48% chance that you're even going to expect to orgasm. 
mm-hmm. you know, like, like you might see sex differently. And so what can we do to make the expectation that it should be better than that? Now there's always going to be an orgasm gap because it's easier for men. Um, women are far more hormonal, um, in our sexual response. So our sexual response isn't the same throughout the month. And so there's always going to be some gap, but it should not be that high. (laughs) So what can men and women do about this? Well, okay. Here's something interesting. (laughs) We took a look at a whole ton of different um, beliefs and uh, different things that influence women's ability to reach orgasm. And what we found is one of the biggest problems, like one of the things which makes women's orgasm rates plummet is believing that you have to have sex with him or he is going to stray or he is going to lust like that you you like the way we talk about the do not deprive verses from 1 Corinthians 7 you know do mm-hmm. not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and fasting like we talk mm-hmm. about those verses but the way we talk about those verses actually causes men's libido to plummet. And we've done some some in-depth focus groups on this. And what we've realized um, is that when women feel like you're not allowed to say no to sex, Mm -hmm. then they also feel like they can't say yes to it. Like you can't. Mm -hmm. And so when women felt free to say no, Mm -hmm. like it was no longer an obligation, but it was instead something they were doing because they wanted to, then their libidos shot up and their rates of orgasm shot up. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and of course, everything you've said, I mean, I think there is some degree of proof to it, even if we've taken it the wrong way, like, yeah, women should make it a point to not deprive their husbands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is very painful to a man. But at the same time, we have it says, text doesn't say women don't deprive your husbands. It pretty much also says husbands don't deprive your wives exactly. as well, because it says both bodies belong to one another. Yeah. Exactly. There's there, that passage. The point of that passage is a complete mutuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, is what is it that we're not supposed to be depriving each other of? And mm-hmm. I don't think that is clearly understood. Yeah. Because the way that we talk about it, it sounds like what saying is that women don't deprive your husbands of the chance to ejaculate. But mm-hmm. think about what we believe about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> is what Jesus... Is, is Jesus's main concern men's ejaculation? And I would argue that it is not. I would argue mm-hmm. the thing that we're not supposed to deprive each other of is a biblical view of sex and, and, and sex in your marriage in the way that the Bible intended. And when we look at that throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that sex is not a physical thing alone. It's this deep knowing. It, it's like in Genesis 4, um, the Hebrew word there, it's Adam knew his wife Eve, which we think sounds really archaic, but mm-hmm. the Hebrew word there is this deep, intimate longing for each other. And yeah. that's what sex is supposed to be. And so what God is saying is in your marriage, sex should be this mutual pleasurable experience that is not only about the body, it's also about connection at every level. That's what we're not supposed to be depriving each other of. And yet we define it merely in terms of men's orgasm. And that's why it's so painful to women, because women have largely been erased from that conversation. Hi, this is Gary Habermas. I'm the Distinguished Research Professor of Apologetics and Philosophy at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I teach full-time in the PhD program here. 
And I have been a guest on the program by Nick Peters on uh, many occasions. And over the years, I've noticed how many excellent guests he gets. And I can tell you personally that Nick reads everything that comes his way. He's a great interviewer. He's got good insight and questions. And I highly recommend his program. And I can remind you when you listen to Deeper Waters podcast, we got Sheila Orr on here talking about her work at To Love, Honor, and Vacuum. Awesome blog. But if you're here next week, we're going to have Lisa Brockman on talking about her book, Out of Zion, How She Escaped Mormonism. So if you're interested in learning about Mormonism, come back next week. For now, let's get back to Sheila. You know, when you're saying this, I'm... Maybe it's just because I'm such a theology and apologetics nerd that it doesn't compute as much with me that some people think this way. But for me, I'm thinking the main thing that shouldn't be deprived of isn't so much sex as intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me, every time my wife does something sexual for me, and the more and more she does every time, it's a way of saying, this is how much you are worth to me. And this is how much you are different from everyone else out there to me. And mm-hmm. if that's not going on, the message becomes, you're not worth that much to me. It, I mean, it's like saying, my body is indeed a temple, and there's only one person who I trust to allow into this temple. Yeah, and that's what it, it should be, because if, mm-hmm. if, if sex isn't mutual knowing, mm-hmm. and when we step away from sex, we're actually rejecting the other person. Yep. And so it feels like you are rejecting me when you mm-hmm. don't want sex. But then it also goes another way, which sex is only about one person's needs and one yeah. person's desires. Then it equally feels like a rejection. So yeah. if we're telling women, you need to have sex no matter what you're feeling, Mm-hmm. Yeah. then it's like we're also saying he doesn't want to know you. And and the point is both people need to feel valued in that sexual relationship yeah. if it's going to reflect Christ. And I, I think we just need more of, we need to apply the theology of the cross to sex mm-hmm. because we haven't done that. I feel like what, what the evangelical church has largely done is we've based our theology of sex on Genesis 2.25, which yeah. is they were naked and not ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, you know, and, and all of these books have talked about how we're not supposed to feel shame about sex, and it's a beautiful thing, and that's very mm-hmm. good as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough, <laughs> you know, which is, if, if we see our sexual relationship in the light of the cross, then what you see is that Jesus's whole point was that, you know, he is a God of reconciliation, he is a God of intimacy, he is a God who wants to, who wants to bring us into close relationship with him, he, and, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, you aren't to be like the Gentiles who lorded over one another and who just desire authority and power and all of this stuff. Instead, you are to serve. And and when mutual knowing and a mutual serving, it works. But when sex is only about one person, then it doesn't. <laughs> and so we need to get back to to a true cross-centered theology. I, think. I remember my wife once said something to me about me activity and said, I wish you would learn how to do such and such or some or this. And so I thought, okay, this matters. So I went, read some articles <laughs> online, made sure not watch any videos, <laughs> watch, read articles and came back later on and said, wow, you paid attention. And my whole thing is, yeah, of course, because if you tell me something's going to make sex better for you, 
I'm going to jump and do it as soon as I can. That's awesome. And that's what we should be doing is paying attention to each other and listening to each other. And that's what a, that's what a good sexual relationship looks like is when we are both being sacrificial and we're both saying, I love you and I want to know you. Now, Gina, you've uh, actually lived this out in your marriage. I mean, I could talk about that some because, I mean, I don't remember now how many years it is exactly on your blog, but I remember seeing some of your blog once you said you've been married for 25 years, 20 years happily. So yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing you went through five years of this kind of suffering. Yeah, our first few years of marriage were really tough. I, I forget. Yeah, I, I really should update that. I think it's more like 28 years married now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, four years of marriage, it was it was we had a lot to get over. Uh, a lot of it was in the sexual realm. Um, mm-hmm. For me, when, when we first got married, I had uh, what a condition called vaginismus, which is when um, the vaginal muscles contract and make sex very painful and Mm -hmm. um, penetration almost impossible. And that took us a long time to get over. And we did get over it within a few years Um, and with proper treatment, which I thoroughly recommend pelvic floor physiotherapists, et cetera. Um, But, you know, one of the things that made that worse was that I felt like I was not being a good wife because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to have intercourse. And so I would force myself to, even if it was painful, mm-hmm. um, because I felt like he didn't have sex, he wouldn't feel loved. Because that's the, what I had been taught my whole life, is that he needs mm-hmm. sex to feel loved. And that does a real number on you, feeling like someone can only feel loved if they do something that causes pain. Yeah. Um, and so that did a real number on us and we had, we had to get over, over that and just get over a lot of, a lot of the teaching, which really wasn't right. Cause I think that we've put sex, mm-hmm. we've made sex into an idol and we forget that yeah. God's purpose for us is this deep intimacy and deep passion, I believe. And he's oh, given yeah. us sex as a vehicle to experience that. But sex is not the point. The intimacy mm. and the passion are the point. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And and we need to put that in its proper perspective. And something mm. interesting to point out is there was a time in your marriage, you said, where you started making a point that you were going to be having sex as often as you could, and you mark it down on your calendar, and you're saying, by golly, I'm doing great. And then your husband comes to you once, and I don't feel like we really make love anymore. you like, hey, look at the calendar, bub. Look at all the dates here. What yeah. was really going on there? Yeah. Yeah, because I felt like after we were over the pain, um, I really wanted to make sex better in my marriage. And so I thought, well, what he really needs is frequency. So I'm going to give him frequency. And Mm -hmm. I did. Um, And it seemed like the more I had sex, the more he wanted it, which was really frustrating to me. And then we Mm -hmm. got into this conversation. And what I realized is that my husband did not frequency as much as he needed to know that I was doing this because I wanted to. Yes. My husband did not need to be placated. He wanted to mm. be wanted. And that's yep. a huge difference. And when we have sex, but we're obviously doing it out of duty, it again yep. makes someone feel rejected. It makes them yep. feel like you don't really want to know them when you're not into it. And that makes them feel so insecure that they keep asking for sex more and more often because they feel like, yes, I really do want you and I really want to know you. So it's like the more we have sex out of duty, actually, the more insecure our other our, our spouse can often get. And it's a very negative cycle. Yeah. I mean, we are accept duty sex 
in a sense because duty sex beats no sex, but mm-hmm. they don't want a steady diet out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so women need to understand, you know, that, that sex should be something which is passionate, enthusiastic, and men to give women the space mm-hmm. to feel like it's not a duty, but it's instead something where I really do just want to know you and be intimate with you. Yeah. Um, something interesting about our marriage is my wife and I both have Asperger's, actually, and... Uh, when I got married, Allie, like many people on the spectrum, my diet was extremely finicky. Mm-hmm. It still is. I used to go and get a pizza out of the oven and break it into quarters every evening and have that be my dinner before I got mm-hmm. married. Mm-hmm. Now, I got married at 29, a couple of months before I turned 30. My wife was 19 at the time. She was going to turn 20 next month. Yes, I robbed that crater big time. <laughs> and, but... um. Um, I, my, my parents had tried for years to have all my friends and all these people, doctors, everyone give me to change my, wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was steadfast, didn't even have any desire, didn't have any want to, no mm-hmm. reason whatsoever. It's probably within a year of marriage and Allie had done it to me and she didn't even have to try because uh-huh. what women sometimes don't realize is, they can be that motivating to their husbands. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and that's what marriage is supposed to be, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. we're supposed to make each other, you know, better people in all kinds mm-hmm. of different ways. That's what iron sharpening iron is supposed to yeah. be. And God made us to be relational. And, yeah. and that's the most fundamental relationship. If anything, I tell... I think I'd tell her as well, you know, you can have fun competitions, like if you have a game night or something like that, it can be fun to compete, but if there's anything you and your spouse should be trying to compete on, it's seeing who can do, who can outdo the ever in showing love to the ever. Mm-hmm. Let that be a constant competition every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, and I think that when, when we get that perspective, that, that marriage and sex is really about, like what Jesus said, how to serve one another mm-hmm. um, the way, then that leads to great marriage. The problem, I think, comes when it becomes too one-sided, you know, when mm-hmm. it's, because God does not call us to be nice. He calls mm-hmm. us to be good and to be kind, And those are, those are very different things, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because when we're nice, we're trying to make life easy for the other person and we're trying to make them like us. But when we're good, we're trying to make life good for the other person and we're trying to bring that person closer to, to what God's best is for them. So, you know, like with you and your wife, she knows it's not good for you to eat pizza every night. So she's, she's going to be good and she's going to help enlarge your diet, right? And or expand mm-hmm. your diet. Um, but when we focus so much on being nice and not rocking the boat and giving our spouse what, what they want, we can actually enable selfishness. And so I think that there's a marriage principle where it's, it's really hard sometimes to figure out because, yes, we need to be serving, but that does not mean that our needs don't matter or that we become a doormat because what we need to be doing in every part of our life is seek for the kingdom of God. And what is it that God is trying to do? What is it, what is it that God is doing in this marriage? Yeah. And that means that, that 
you know, we need healthy boundaries and we need to be pointing to Christ, not just trying to appease your spouse with, with what makes them happy. You know, something that also is, you brought this up earlier, the shame women often have associated with their own bodies <clears throat> because <clears throat> that's definitely not in Scripture. If you look, sure, I, I think the message regularly given is women are extremely beautiful. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. when when Eve is the last aspect of creation, for instance, I think good also includes beautiful. So when Eve is last, kind of like saying, this is the crown of creation mm-hmm. right here. I've even said to my wife, if we ever have a daughter someday, I want to name her something like Eva, some form of Eve, mm-hmm. because I want her to know she is a representation of God's beauty on earth. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. When you look at Job, for instance, at the end of the book, what's the big thing it says about his daughters? Nowhere in the land were women found as beautiful as Job's daughters. What do we know about Esther? Esther's beautiful. Rachel was beautiful. And we have all this talk about women's beauty, and yet women seemed ashamed of their own bodies, they, even in front of their husbands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a lot of that is because of the message that we're giving women that um, your body is a source of sin, that your body mm. will cause him to sin. And I, I know when, when one of my daughters was, I think she was about 11, so she was still a little girl, and she very much felt like a little girl. Uh, but her body was really developing and her Sunday school teacher took her aside and said she was going to have to watch what she wore now because um, she had to make she had to dress in such a way that the adult men wouldn't be lusting after her. Well, that's a terrible thing to tell an 11 year old. You know, so now mm-hmm. she's now she, I've got this kid who's out of going to church because what exactly are these men that she's always liked and enjoyed and what are they thinking of her and so that was really traumatizing Mm. um you know but that is that is often the message that women are given and it's so interesting because that's not the way the bible talks about it even you know we, we we focus on on the passage in first timothy 2 about women's modesty um you know and how women are supposed to be modest but that is not talking about women's bodies no. If you actually read that, it's talking about um, gold jewelry and braided hair and expensive clothes. Social what, status. Exactly, because the problem in the church <clears> in <throat> Ephesus, where Timothy was was leading the church there, there was this this social um, uh, the social stratification between the rich mm-hmm. and the poor, and so poor people coming into the church were feeling left out because the rich people were there. And so Paul was saying, don't dress to draw attention to yourself. Like, don't use names. Don't don't have those expensive purses, you know, in today's language. Like, like don't don't make people feel like they don't fit in mm-hmm. um, or that they don't belong. And that was the conversation about modesty is how to make sure that people coming into our church feel welcome and don't mm-hmm. feel left out or judged. And yet we have turned that passage to mean that girls have have to watch what they wear or else men will lust after them and it's got nothing to do with that mm-hmm.
Well, I like my one visit point. You're listening to Deeper Waters Podcast. Everything we do is supported by listeners like you. If you want to support us, please go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link here it says help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click on that link, you get taken to the ministry of risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation. It is tax deductible. You get in touch with me or Allie or Mike or Debbie and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deep Waters. You can also buy ebooks that I've written or co-written. Coming out soon will be Dawkins and the Doc, a response to Richard Dawkins' Outgrowing God. And uh, I've also written A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian. Co-written books like The Mentionables Project, God and Natural Disasters, Groundlets, Defying Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, Christians' Answers to This Generation's Questions. And I've also got a YouTube channel. Now, Deeper Waters Apologetics on YouTube, so please go check that out. And if you can't do any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review. I'd love to see that. At, now, um, Sheeta, do you have any organization or charity you'd see people support? Well, it might be hard because I'm Canadian, so I don't know a lot of American ones that allow tax deductions. But one of the ones that I do think it has an American arm, so I'll just mention it. But we've been to the Muli Children's Family in Kenya um, quite a few times, leading medical missions trips there. They have, uh, they're the home to uh, roughly 3,000 um, abandoned or orphaned children and teenagers. They have uh, skills training for women, young women off the street who were in the sex sex trafficking and Mm. have babies and it's just a wonderful place we've done so much work there and one of the big things that we've been supporting is um making sure that they have uh enough stuff to train the girls and as well menstrual products to help them stay in school um because the home actually supplies all of the local schools even those not affiliated with their home with menstrual products so that kids girls can stay in school so you can look at um, Muli Children's Family. That's M U L L I Muli Children. You can Google it. I know in Canada the website is mcfcf.ca, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is in the U.S. But there is one in the U.S., so you can take a look and find that too. You know, one of the other things I think about contributes to shame. Council Bridge, you mentioned because it's the first thing I've thought of is again we talk about how in the media that men are depicted as oafs and idiots, where in media and especially TV and Hollywood, every woman is just this perfectly designed product of femininity who's got Mm -hmm. this perfect Barbie figure and everything else. And women look at these women on TV and think, that's what I'm supposed to look like. And then Mm -hmm. sadly, for guys who struggle with porn, they think, that's what I'm supposed to look like for my guy. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that yeah, and body image issues are huge. I talk about this a lot in the Good mm. Girls Guide Great Sex because you know, this is a huge thing that many women have getting married is they're just afraid, like, I don't want my husband to see me naked because they, they don't like seeing themselves naked. And I think again, um, part of that comes back to understanding that sex is supposed to be a deeply intimate experience on multiple levels. It is not only physical. And 
it should not. And the re, one of the reasons that we put so much pressure on women's bodies right now is because we've reduced sex to only the physical. When we mm. understand that sex is far more um, feeling emotionally and spiritually connected as well, and mm-hmm. that God created passion in a physical way to express, you know, orgasm in a physical way to actually express this trend feeling that you have with your spouse, then it's not as much about what your body looks like as it is yeah. about what you're experiencing together. It's it's like the difference between thinking, I want sex and I want you. <laughs> yep. Because those are two very different things. Yeah. I, I think if women are married to a good guy, what they are saying is, I want to see your body because your body is beautiful because it is your body. You make your body beautiful. I mean, to me, if you asked me, I'd say, you know, let's suppose you could see any of these things. You know, the Mona Lisa, Taj Mahal, Sphinx, Niagara Falls, (laughs) any of these great sites. You know, they'd all be awesome to see. I'd just see anything and they say, okay, or you can see your wife's body. Boom, mm-hmm. that is the one that wins every single time. There was no sight like that to me. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's lovely, and that's what it's supposed to be like. And, you know, I think that that is something that men maybe understand in a way that a lot of women don't, right. because women don't necessarily see their husband's bodies in the same way. Some do. Right. Some definitely do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but this but but men do tend to be more visually stimulated than women. Women are also visually stimulated. It's the same part of the brain that lights up. It's just that it's more intense for men than it is for women. And mm. and so I think that women have a really difficult time understanding um, how much their husbands really like their bodies because we don't mm-hmm. necessarily see it the same way. You know, if you see if you see your husband take off his shirt when he comes into the bedroom you're probably not thinking hubba hubba. You're probably thinking, I hope he's going to put that in the hamper. Like, it's yeah. just a very different way of thinking about it. <laughs> but meanwhile, if a husband see his, sees his wife take off her shirt as she's coming into the bedroom, yeah. he's immediately thinking, let's go. Exactly. It's just, it's just very different. And I, I think that also relates to the different ways that libidos work and i don't want to talk too much in sex in in gendered terms here because it isn't it isn't as straightforward as just gender um but uh, or some people sorry have what i would call a spontaneous libido where you know they they just want sex they feel physically frustrated if they don't have it um they are visually stimulated at night, they just they feel that desire to have. Some people have more of a responsive libido, where they actually don't really feel like a need for sex until they start. Like until you start kissing, until you start moving, yeah. that's when desire kicks in. And yet, if you look at any TV program, any movie, that's not the way it's portrayed. Like in oh yes, whatever you watch, it's like the couple <clears> is <throat> panting, you know. And then they kiss and they take off their clothes and they end up in bed. And so that's what we think that sex is, right? Like kiss, close bed. And if you're someone who isn't like that, you can be at home and waiting to pant and thinking there's something wrong with you. But just because some people are like pant, kiss, close bed, other people might be like bed, 
clothes kiss pants. Like you get in bed, you're not really thinking about sex, but you start to kiss and then the desire comes. And that's perfectly legitimate as well. Um, So just because you don't have a spontaneous libido does not mean that you don't have a libido. Libido is just the ability to get interested in sex and to enjoy sex. Um, and, and, and And people experience that in different ways. One of the things I try to do for my fellow men out there, <clears throat> a men's Facebook group for marriage to help us be better husbands, and also it includes guys who are singers so they can be better husbands and they get married. And when the guy's on there saying he's going to get married, so you know, he's engaged, and I message him, and if assuming he's a virgin and he's looking at night, I try and say, hey, look, if you want a guy to talk to, I'll talk to you. About because a lot of guys, let's face it, don't want to go to their dads. And right, talk about exactly. Sex. <clears throat> I remember my dad gave me some advice before I got married, and it was extreme. Awkward. I, <laughs> I'm much more appreciative of guys who I wasn't related to. But one of the things I tell guys regularly is okay, I want you to think about every scene you've seen in TV and movies. That's a sex scene, okay? Got it? Good. Now throw it all out because it's completely <laughs> unrealistic. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Because, and we do, we do need to think about things very differently. And, you know, the other thing, of course, about TV movies is they never have any foreplay. They go right to the main event and they miss the fact that for men, the main event is foreplay. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not that. And, and uh, so we just need to understand how, how your spouse's body works because it isn't always the same. Like not everybody likes the same thing. Not everybody reacts the same way to touch. Like we need to, you need to figure out what your own spouse likes. And not only that, in TV and movies, nothing ever goes wrong. Yes. Everything just (laughs) flows perfectly. No one suddenly passes gas in the mirror or no one actually pokes someone if they don't want to or no one... Nothing goes wrong in the movies. Everything just flows perfectly naturally, even if it's a couple's first time. Yeah. Yeah, <coughs> exactly. And it's not most people. Yeah. I mean, the surveys that I did for the Good Girls Guide to Great Sex, you know, um, we found the best years for sex and marriage were actually years 16 to 24. Like, mm-hmm. it was after you've been married for a decade and a half, you've learned how to communicate. You know, you're not nervous about telling each other what you like anymore. Um, if you've got kids, chances are they're they're sleeping through the night now. They're older, so you're not as exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. You know that you're in this for life, and that's when things start working. We think that sex is going to be as easy right off the bat, but I think that God made sex to be this journey of discovery that sometimes takes several decades. And just when you get it figured out, then you have kids, or you, you know, she's breastfeeding, or menopause hits, or stresses in your life hit, and you need to rediscover. It. And that's good. That's okay. Because in rediscovering it, you learn, you go to just those deeper levels of intimacy as well. Yeah. And honestly, when you said that, I just started thinking, gosh, I've got something to look forward to in six more years here. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Now, with something you said also there along the lines, and this goes back to, you know, women not depriving and things like that. We also have another myth, I think, that. This is something a, a woman I saw address, uh, Lindsay Harold on about Lindsay's logic, where she said, sometimes you should have sex sometimes, even if you don't feel mm-hmm. like it. Yep. Because that, it, that can be part of sacrificial giving, and sometimes, even if you don't feel like it, after being started, all of a sudden you will feel like it. And, and by contrast, yep. it'd be awfully bizarre for 
a man to be told he should only take his wife out to dinner when he feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that we, we each, again, this, this just comes down to even learning how to serve each other. I think having sex, when you don't feel like it, when there's also bigger issues in the marriage, is not good advice. Like, right. because sometimes the reason you don't feel it is because there's some major marriage issues which are not being addressed. And for men especially, sex is their way of checking in on the relationship. Like, check is, yeah. sex is, is your way of saying, hey, are we okay? And so if yeah. she's having sex with him, she's kind of telling him, yes, we're okay. And if you're really not mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> um, that's not necessarily the best advice. But when, there, when, when your relationship is relatively healthy, then I think realizing that you may not have that spontaneous libido where you have that feeling that you want sex right now, you're not panting, for instance, and you Mm -hmm. have more of a responsive libido where you understand once we get going, if I decide I'm going to enjoy this, chances are I will. So, Mm. you know, let's start, even if I'm not particularly feeling it, because I have confidence that I can feel it later because my, my husband cares about my sexual pleasure, you know, because I'm going to tell myself the right things and all of that. But if you're having sex because, and you don't feel like it and you're not into it at all and writing a grocery list in your head, that's going to help nobody (laughs) really because he's going to feel rejected and you're going to feel used. So it's like, let's get, let's see sex as this wonderful thing God made for you. It helps you sleep better. It helps you feel more connected. You know, it's just super fun, but you need to have a positive attitude about it. Cause if, if women aren't thinking positively about sex, it doesn't matter what he does. We're not going to feel good. But if we are thinking, are paying attention to our bodies, Mm. then it kicks in. I think something else that needs to be said, and this is something a lot of women think sadly seem to think, is that when you come out of a shower, for instance, and your husband notices you immediately, and he's just looking at you, I mean, men, women have this idea, really, that if men are just paying attention to their bodies and the lying beside their bodies, well, my husband is obviously a pervert, and that's <laughs> all that he thinks about. Yeah. And, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm told. If a man is interested in sex and pursuing sex, he's a pervert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not true whatsoever. Now, I will say a lot of women get really frustrated when they're doing the dishes or something and the guy comes up and grabs her boob, you know, or, yeah. or like if there's if, if she's distinctly doing something that is non-sexual and is busy and he grabs her in a sexual, that is very off-putting mm-hmm. to many women. But, yeah. you know, if he grabs her hand, if he gives her a nice kiss, if when they're watching a movie, he's stroking her hair, like that's great. And then, you know, if it moves on to something later, that's also good too. So it's just a matter of how to respect each other, realize that he's not a pervert for wanting sex, but mm-hmm. then he also needs to realize there's a place and a time. <laughs> so Yeah, at the same time, <clears throat> I mean, it could be, for wife's watching dishes and her butt just looked really good to him at the time. He wants to come forward and show how much he loves and appreciates her. And she just shoots him down and says, don't be a pervert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a woman can say no, but how she says no can also make all the difference. Yeah. And I think that's just understanding your spouse and giving mm-hmm. them the res- just respecting their own preferences and boundaries because mm-hmm. people are just going to feel differently about that. But I think if you know that your spouse finds something 
difficult, then honoring that is important, especially if your spouse is a victim of sexual abuse in the past mm-hmm. or has grown up in a church where um, he or she ha- you know, has, has just has been given really bad messages about sex, then you know, you need to get into a, a situation together where you're both relaxed before you get really sexual. And, and something coming out of left field can feel very threatening and very demeaning. So that's, that's again, just a case where you just need to understand your spouse. So we're getting close to where we're going to have to start wrapping things up in about four minutes or so. I mean, some advice you would give, first off, to women who are struggling in this area, just starting generic advice. I would just say you were created for pleasure. Like, you were created to feel amazing. Sex is not amazing in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Don't settle for that. Like, it's okay to say, you know, we've been married for six years now, and... It's, I, I think we're missing something, and I would love to make this a big research project on how to figure out how to make rape. You know, because you can get in a rut, and if it's never felt good, and there's a lot of women who have never reached orgasm, like, it's okay to say, I think we need to start again. Like, can we just pretend nothing's ever happened and just go back to basics? Let me learn how to fit body likes. Like, that's okay to do. Um and, and then the other thing that I would say is if you are so busy and so tired that sex is off the table, even if sex does feel good, but it's just something mm-hmm. you never have to ever have a drive for because you're too tired, mm-hmm. you got you to gotta figure out a different way to do life. Mm-hmm. Because intimacy in your marriage does matter. It really does. And it was created for you. I'm not saying it matters because of just him. It, it matters for yeah. you too. And you've got to yeah. figure this piece out. One's not just depriving her husband, she's depriving herself. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we men, on the other hand, we don't need to have much motivation to have sex, usually. There are some strange men out there that do seem to have low drives, but most of us don't really have that. So, what's the advice you'd give to men who are listening to this show? Yeah, well, I would say if you are a guy with a low drive, you know, and, and in, in about 20 to 30% of marriages, he is the one with the lower drive. Sometimes that, that's just because of stress. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just because of their natural drives. You know, just remember that your wife needs to feel pursued and she needs to mm-hmm. feel wanted. And if, if you're the lower drive spouse, whether you're male or female, make efforts to initiate because that's yeah. what your spouse really needs. It, it truly is. Um, but for most guys, I think you know you got to figure out what makes your wife tick. And don't see sex as something, you know, which is just what you need. See it as something which is supposed to bring you together. And so ask yourself, how does my wife experience sex? Like, try to put yourself in her shoes and say, like, is what we are doing, is it making her feel valued? Is it making her feel amazing? Is it making her mm-hmm. feel that I totally learned? And if mm-hmm. it's not, then start that conversation. Like, how can we do this so that you feel valued, you feel amazing? Um, and, and just figure it out because, you know, the intercourse piece is pretty easy to figure out. It's not difficult to have intercourse. It is it is a lot more of a challenge to sex in a way that she feels great. And and that really is on you. You know, so figure, figure that piece out because it matters. Yeah, in essence, men should be pursuing their wives in marriage as much as they were when they were dating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sheila, it has been awesome. I've loved reading your blog. It's been awesome to sit down and talk to you. If uh, if someone wants to find out more, tell us about your know, blog, website, email, how they can get in touch with you if they want to find out more. 
Yeah, so come to lovehonorandvacuum.com where I like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. So we have a lot of fun over there. I talk about sex almost every day. You can sign up for my email list um, and get there. And then check out my books. My big one is The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, which is wonderful for any woman looking um, at how to make sex wonderful in her marriage. 31 Days to Great Sex is coming out again this summer. I self-published it for a long time, but it went so big that Zondervan bought it from me. So <laughs> that's coming out this summer. And it's a wonderful challenge to do as a couple, mm-hmm. just so that you can figure out this sex piece so that it isn't only physical, but that the physical is awesome. But so is the friendship. And so is the, the that yeah. real longing connection. Yeah, so yeah, anytime you have a book coming out, just get in touch with me. You're always welcome back on. We'll talk about it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Do you have any final words you'd like to leave for the audience today? Just that God made sex to be amazing. And if it isn't, make it the best research project you can do in your marriage because you were created for this and it was created to be great. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have Lisa Brockman on talking about her book, Out of Zion, How She Escaped Mormonism. For now... I am Nick Peters, I affirm the virgin birth, and I'm signing (laughs) off.